In your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 45, Genesis chapter 45, I tell you, he it's a good thing he's all I need, amen? You will come into stages in your life when he'll be all you have. And I don't mean that you won't have your paycheck, I don't mean you won't have family, I don't mean that you won't have a church family, but I just mean to say there will be hurts, there will be needs that none of those things can touch. And there will be times when you might as well have none of those things, because of their inability to address the needs in your life. But He is all that I need. Amen. I'm glad He's all sufficient. Genesis chapter number 45 this evening. I want to read a few verses here and then jump over to Genesis chapter 50, just a few pages over and read a few verses. And I have a very simple thought that's just burning on my heart tonight that I want to share with you. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 1. Of course, we are in the life of Joseph here. And Joseph has been uh, sort of, if we can use this term, coercing his brethren to a place of contrition and of repentance and of recognition of their transgression against him. And uh, finally, they have been broken, and they are pleading for their lives, and they have confessed that they had that all this grief that was coming upon them was was coming upon them because of how they had treated their brother Joseph. And listen to what the Bible says, verse number one. The Bible says, "Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me." And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. They came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land. Of Egypt. Turn over a few pages to chapter 50 with me. And I want you to leave in your mind that phrase that Joseph uses in, in the last verse of our previous reading. He says, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Well, look at verse 15 of chapter 50. The Bible says, when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. They sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. Now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. His brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, notice this phrase again, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass 
uh, to, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. I pray you'd take your word this evening, that you'd wield it effectually in our hearts. Lord, that you'd have your will and way in us, in our hearts and minds and souls, that we might be made more into the image of Christ and drawn closer unto thee. We'll be sure to thank you for it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to draw your attention once more to a phrase that is found in the final verse of both sections of Scripture that we read. Back in chapter 45, verse 8, it reads this way, So now it was not you that sent me hither. And then these two little words, but God. Down in verse 20 of chapter 50, we just read it. Joseph said, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You know, throughout the Word of God, you'll find occasions when the Bible will describe God intervening in a situation. But I find interesting here, I don't know that we could rightly say God is intervening, but I do think that we could say that God is superseding the wishes and intentions of mankind. Uh, Now, I want to be very careful with what I'm about to say here. I believe man has a choice in everything he does. I believe man has a free will. I reject any concept that that we don't have choices, that we don't make decisions, that God will, uh, you know, somehow, uh, you know, counter into it our decisions against contrary to our will. But I do believe that God is so mighty and so powerful that He has the ability both to grant and to honor man's free will, but at the same time to never lose control of His redemptive plan and of His creation and of His authority and of His will for mankind. I just believe God's big enough to do both those things. Don't you believe that tonight? I believe God can let man make choices without man's choices disrupting God's plans. And that does not abdicate or absolve man of his choices, nor does it mean we live in a vacuum where we don't affect anything and our choices don't matter. But it ought to give great peace because, listen, when you're the one making the choices, it is a great comfort to believe that man's free will uh, is supreme in all things. But when you're the one that choices are being made about and to, it is a great comfort to know that no matter who seems to be controlling things, God is still in control of all things. I want us to notice a few thoughts, and maybe I'll be able to preach it better than I can introduct it. Amen? But I want to give you a few thoughts tonight that I that I think we find in this passage. I, as I said, this phrase, but God, it, it implies to us that you have a certain direction things are going, and then God shows up and intervenes, and God shows up and makes a difference. God shows up and changes the winds of human history and imposes His will and supersedes maybe the designs of mankind when they wish evil upon His people. We find this in, a, in the redemptive sense in the New Testament when the Bible talks about us being without hope, uh, without Christ, and us being dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, uh, for the great love wherewith He loved us, hath redeemed us. And uh, He's bought us unto Himself and He's died in our place. But here I believe what we have is mankind's desire to exact evil upon someone. Uh, But we find that God in His providence, God in His might, God in His power, God in His infinite wisdom, uh, sort of co-opted or superseded the designs of mankind and instead turned it for His will. We have, by the way, a New Testament verse to this. I'm just going to keep introducing it till I get an amen or two. Amen. Uh, we have a New Testament verse for this, and you probably know it. I would about guarantee that you do. Uh, Brother Paul said, and we know. And we know that all things work together for good. 
to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Uh, it doesn't mean all things are good, but it does mean all things work together for good. Uh, it doesn't mean all things work together for good for everybody, but it does mean all things work together for good to them that love Him, to them who are the called according to His purpose. In other words, God's children. Those that have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have given their life to Christ. God takes a vested interest in our lives. And God has a say in what transpires in our lives, in how folks treat us, in how we respond to them. So I want you to notice four simple thoughts from the passage that we have tonight, and then we'll we'll close. Look with me in chapter 45. Chapter 45. And I want you to notice Joseph's first statement concerning the actions of his brethren. Now, as you, as you get there, let me remind you of what all has been happened, has happened to Joseph, what all has been done to him. Uh, Joseph, for no greater crime than being given a dream by God, was hated by his brethren. Uh, God gave uh, Joseph a vision uh, concerning uh, sheaves out in the field, and one of them belonged to each of, of the brethren, each of his brethren, and uh, one of them belonged to him. And all of the other sheaves bowed down and made obeisance. In other words, they 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 uh, gave honor to Joseph's sheep. And he tells his brethren that he must not know Baptist very well, amen, or he probably wouldn't have ever told them that. But he tells them that. And uh, immediately they, they, they hate him and they despise him. He has another dream uh, about the stars in heaven bowing down uh, unto him and, and the sun and the moon bowing down to him. He tells his brethren that that relates to them, that the sun and the moon relate to his mother, mother and his father. And uh, he is all the more hated by his brethren. And for no greater crime than, than being loved by his earthly father and being, being uh, used by his heavenly father, for no greater crime than these, his brethren hated him and they sought occasion to sell him into slavery. They wanted to kill him until one of his brethren intervened and uh, forbid him from doing it. So they sold him into slavery. And you know the story of Joseph. Uh, probably everybody on a Wednesday night very well acquainted and familiar with this story of how he is taken into slavery and how he is then elevated, exalted by his faithfulness to God to be the head over the household of, of his master. And how that then uh, that man's wife, Potiphar's wife, lies about him, accuses him of false of, uh, of trying to commit iniquity and uh, trying to uh, abuse her, and how he's cast into prison. And even there, because of his faithfulness to God, he's elevated once again. And uh, how he interprets the dreams for the butler and baker. And uh, he's promised that he would be remembered, but the man forgets. And uh, we know the story of how Joseph spends these many years uh, in prison and in affliction and persecuted. And I mean, he has about as sorry and pitiful of a life from our perspective as a man could possibly have. But what's Joseph's perspective on it? He sums it up in these verses that we've read. He has come face to face with his abusers. He has come face to face with the very men that have masterminded his seeming destruction. And he now holds all the power to destroy them. You understand, Joseph could have said, man, take their heads off. And nobody would have even blinked. They wouldn't have even filed a memo about it. They would have just done it. Nobody would have even known it. Nobody would have even uh, guessed what had transpired. Uh, Jacob, back in Israel, would have never known. Back in Canaan, he would have never known what had happened. Uh, he could have done this with almost impunity. Uh, but instead, he chooses to have a heavenly, divine, providential, sovereign perspective on what transpired. So I want you to notice these. Verse number 4, the Bible says that Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Notice his words there. You sold me into Egypt. By the way, he does not absolve them of their guilt. You know, a lot of what we have in society today is, is this attempt to, people want you to absolve them of their guilt. 
they want you to to absolve them of of the feelings of regret and remorse and conviction that they feel. And and Joseph did not do that. He did not say, well, after all, you didn't sell me. No, he said, you did sell me. There's no question. You did what you did. You know it and I know it. Notice what he says in verse 5. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. Now, I don't think Joseph is saying here, don't feel bad about what you did. But I do think he is saying, if you could see it how I see it, then you would understand that the best thing you ever did for me was sell me into slavery. And he says this, verse 5, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Let me say, this is my first point tonight. We find in this passage that they sold him, but God sent him. They sold him, but God sent him. Again, the paradigm here, the dynamic, is you have the will of man, and then you have the will of God superseding, uh, not not reversing the will of man. They still desired the same thing they had always desired for him. They meant it. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to take advantage of him. But we find that God was able to co-opt their evil intentions and to bring about good in the life of His servant, they sold Him. What do we mean when we say they sold Him? Well, I would say it this way. They sought to abuse and take advantage of Him for their own profit. They were originally going to kill Him. And I think when Reuben intervenes and says, no, we're not going to kill him, let's sell him into slavery. Reuben feigns that his intention is that is great love for, for Joseph. Maybe it was. I don't know Reuben's heart. I do know this. I know that he was unstable as water. I know he might have meant it because that's what his daddy said about him. That's what the Holy Ghost said about Reuben. He was unstable as water. I know he could have had good intentions at one minute. And he might have started that thing out saying, no, I'm going to rescue him out of this. We're not going to let this happen. But then that caravan passes by and they start getting to think about the money that they could get out of this. And all of a sudden now they've got a new plan. They could have done any number of things, but they chose to profit off of him. Let me tell you something, there's going to be times in your life where people are going to treat you ill. There's going to be times, I'm talking about as a child of God, because you're a child of God, that they're going to seek to take advantage of you. I think one of the great discouraging things in modern society today, and I think, by the way, I think this is part of the reason, if I can just speak to what I believe is sort of the cultural and political zeitgeist of the day, I think this is a lot of the reason that, that President Trump got elected. You remember when he was running, he kept talking about winning, winning. You remember that? You with me on a Wednesday night? You with me? Some of y'all glazed over in your eyes. I'm going to have somebody reach over and stick a mirror under your nose, see if you're still with us. You remember us talking about winning, 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 winning? You know why that resonated? Because so many people felt like they had been losing for so long. You know that even as God's people, sometimes we will get a losing spirit and a losing attitude about the way that we're treated in this world. And certainly it feels like, for the people of God at least, it does feel like it seems like everybody gets their way and everybody gets their representation and everybody gets privilege and everybody gets all these things except for the people of God. Everybody's allowed a seat at the table except for Christians. Every religion must be respected except Christianity. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll get in a losing state of mind. Now, I'm not dismissing the fact that the culture is set firmly against us. I'm not dismissing the fact that the world hates us because it hates Christ. And there will, in fact, be times when people will abuse you and people will take advantage of you and people will take you for granted and people will use you as a stepping stone and they'll take your Christian charity and kindness and grace and mercy and use it as a stepping stone so that they can benefit themselves. 
But can I remind you that whatever ill intents they may have, whatever conniving, whatever manipulation, whatever usury they may exact in your life, it does not kick God off His throne. They sold Him. They sought to profit off Him. They cared not one bit how it damaged him, how it destroyed his life. I mean, you understand that what they were doing. He went, Jacob was not a king. There was not a king in Israel, but Jacob was a powerful man. He was a wealthy man. He was an influential man. And, and Joseph went from at one second being the favored son of a, a wealthy individual, a wealthy person that had power and had prominence and prosperity to being a slave. He was completely, we hear this word all the time in modern society, disenfranchised. You hear that all the time, disenfranchised. I went to a Zaxby's the other day, I wish they'd disenfranchise, amen? I mean, man, three times can't get my order right. Somebody somebody franchised them, they ought to disenfranchise them. We hear that word, disenfranchised. Man, you want to talk about a cat that was disenfranchised, look at Joseph. Joseph went from being this powerful, influential individual with a course set for his life to being a slave and having no rights, and having no standing, and being in the mind of his Egyptian masters lower than the lowest, lower than livestock, was how he was treated. Uh, They sold him, and they did so for so little. But that's not Joseph's perspective on it. He's not unaware of what they've done, but he is hyper-aware of what God has done. I told you a moment ago, we're not careful, we'll get a losing spirit and a losing attitude. And you see this in the spirit and attitude of Christians all the time. Listen, Christians are are sadly, it seems today, some of the most aggrieved people that you'll ever meet. Can I tell you something? We're on the winning side. We got nothing to be aggrieved about. Uh, the, the, The only Listen, the hatred and the animosity and the hostility and the ostracization that the world treats you, Jesus warned you about that before you ever got in this thing. He told you that the world would hate you. It ought not surprise you that the world hates you, but we ought not walk around with our head hung low as though we are an aggrieved, offended people. If we choose to walk around with a losing spirit, nobody can probably uh, exercise that attitude out of us. But that doesn't come from the Bible. We're not an aggrieved people. If there was anybody who could have walked around aggrieved, it would have been Joseph. But he says, listen, you sold me, but God sent me. God took what you were doing And he co-opted it for his purpose, for his desire, for his design. And he used your open hostility towards me to perfectly position me exactly where he wants me. Has it ever dawned on you that the mistreatment of others may be by the mandate of God, not by their own righteousness, not by them obeying God, but God is using that by the design of God, uh, by the ministration of God's will to place you exactly where God wants you to be. The fact is... Uh, nobody, uh, listen, there's no freer person in the world than a child of God. If the Son make you free, you're free indeed. A child of God that walks in the will of God has no master but the God of the universe. And as such, listen, they, they sold him. They sold him into slavery, but he said, you, you may have sold me, uh, but really God sent me. And he does not absolve them of what they did, but he does recognize that God was absolute over what they did. And he says, you know, God used it to position me where I needed to be for His will. Well, not only that, look at verse 6. The Bible says this, Joseph talking to him, he says, For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you, to notice this word, to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
Let me say this, number two. They wanted him to perish, but God wanted him to preserve. Their idea, their desire, their wishes, their plan was for the plan of God for Joseph's life to end right there and right then. I think probably one of the reasons that those dreams that Joseph shared uh, prompted them to action was because they saw them as a threat. Joseph undoubtedly had always probably been an upright young man. Certainly he had the favor of Jacob. And we criticize Jacob a lot. And I understand why Jacob uh, sometimes was petty and childish and carnal and wicked and sinful and like me and like you. Amen. But but Jacob was nonetheless was was a man of God. He was a spiritual individual, not at all times. Truthfully, if we knew everything, if we knew as much about Isaac as we know about Jacob, we'd probably find out Jacob wasn't as bad as we think, or Isaac wasn't as good as we think. Jacob, no doubt, had seen God in Joseph's life. No doubt, that was part of the reason for the favor that he showed upon him. And God had a great, grand plan for Joseph's life. That probably did not bother his brethren until they found out that the plan of God was going to affect them. Then all of a sudden, they don't mind Joseph having a sheave, but their sheaves are going to bow before his sheave. They don't mind him having the affection of his father. But you're telling me that they as stars are going to bow before Him? That they're going to have to bow before their younger brother? That they're going to have to lend to Him and yield to Him authority in their life? They said, nah, we'll cut this thing off right now. I think part of their design was to put a stop to this whole dream foolishness in their mind. Well, here's the thing, that that whole dream foolishness, that was the plan of God. That was the will of God. That was what God wanted to do in Joseph's life. They wanted him to perish. They wanted the work of God and the will of God and the plan of God to stop in his life. But God had an intention to use Joseph in a greater way than even they could have ever imagined. And so I'm careful in what I say, not just that God wanted to preserve Joseph. Of course, He did, and He did that very thing. But I mean, God had a plan for Joseph's life that no person could derail except Joseph. I want you to understand that the will of God for your life, nobody can derail except you. You and you alone get to decide whether God uses your life. They wanted Him to perish. They wanted to put an end to the work of God in His life. But it didn't matter. God had a desire and a design and a plan and a will. And if Joseph was willing to be faithful to God, if he was willing to follow God, that's all that mattered. Didn't matter what anyone else did. Didn't matter how they tried to stop him. How many of you have heard this before, that God by himself is a majority? If God wants to do something, He's well able to do it. And if He wants to do it in your life, then the only person's obedience and complicitness He needs is yours. If you'll obey, that's all it takes. They wanted him to perish, but God wanted him to preserve. Look at verse number 8 with me. Joseph says this, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. In other words, uh, you didn't intend to send me this way. You were trying to sell me, but God was sending me. You didn't want to send me to this place. You didn't want me to wind up here. It was not you that sent me hither, he says, but God. Now notice the next phrase, And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I jotted it down this way. They wanted to expel him, but God. They wanted to expel him. They wanted to say, I don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. I'm tired of him. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to his dreams, his visions. I don't want to hear Daddy brag on him. I don't want to hear all this stuff anymore. I'm over it. I just want him out of our life. I want him out of our hair. They wanted him gone. They wanted to expel him, but God 
wanted to exalt Him. In other words, they wanted to pitch Him to the side and throw Him away. God wanted to put Him at the forefront. (laughs) Don't you know, man, I mean, you want to talk about just absolute, just gobsmacked, shocked. You want to talk about just absolute tongue on the floor, don't know what to say. Imagine how they felt when they realized who they was talking to. Imagine how they felt when they realized who they were dealing with. Man, they thought they, they had fixed that problem a long time ago. They thought they'd never have to deal with him again. They thought whatever else they'd done in their life, they had at least dealt with that pest, Joseph. And now here they are, and there's only one man in the world that they have to deal with. Only one. And it's Joseph. I would say this, that uh, though some will try to uh, do everything they can to destroy our testimony, to destroy our ability to serve God, to destroy our obedience to Him. They'll try to diminish us. They'll try to disregard us and dismiss us. They'll do everything they can to cast us down, that God has the ability to lift us up. He does. He has the ability to lift us up. They may seek to make us, and you see this very common. I don't even know if I can articulate this. In modern-day society today, the, the very worst slight that you can give someone is to make them irrelevant, to make a person irrelevant, to show them that they just don't, or they're not important anymore, they don't matter anymore. Probably part of that has to do with the sort of cultural currency that, that, that influence and prominence has in society today. We live in a tabloid society, and so about the worst thing you can do to somebody is make them irrelevant. About the biggest joke in Hollywood is somebody that's a has-been, that's not important anymore, that's irrelevant. Uh, listen, there's people that want to make the, the children of God, the church of the living God, the work of God. Christians today want to make them irrelevant, a, 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 an archaic product of a bygone era. And they'll try to do that in your life. They'll try to do it in my life. But God has the ability to put us front and center in His work and to use us and to make it so that they have to reckon. They have to reckon. Can I just point this out too? It would not be a sermon on Joseph if we didn't remind you that probably one of the strongest types in all the Word of God, certainly the most voluminous type of anyone in the Word of God is Joseph. There's more about Joseph's life that points to Jesus Christ than there is of anyone else's life. And by the way, part of that is because we probably know more about Joseph's life than just about anybody else in the Bible. He's written about more than most everybody else in the Bible. And just about every detail of his life points to Jesus Christ. And certainly here, the scorned and rejected brethren that has been exalted, that has passed through prison, that has passed through persecution, that has been reckoned dead by his family, and now has been resurrected to stand and to sit upon the throne and which all men must reckon with, certainly that must remind us of Jesus Christ. And I just remind you this, no matter how they treat Him, they tried to expel Him. Wherefore, wherefore, let this mind be in you, Paul said, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, was made like unto man, became subject, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just as they tried to expel Him, but God exalted Him. Paul says, let this mind be in you. Understand that as a child of God, people do you that way, but God will do you that way too. (laughs) They'll do you the way they did Him, but God will do you the way God did Him. They sought to expel Him. 
but God wanted to exalt him. And then I'd say this in verse uh, chapter number 50. Let's just look at those last two verses over in chapter 50. Listen to what it says. Joseph said unto them, now Jacob's dead now. And they believe that probably Joseph's going to kill them. Because he has no reason to keep him alive anymore. Uh, but Joseph, he's hurt by the fact that they believe he would do that. He's already forgiven them long ago. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? You know what he's saying by that? He's saying it's not my job to sort out what you did. He's saying it's not my job to judge you about this. And that doesn't mean that he's saying I shouldn't have an opinion. But he's saying it's not my job to punish you for this. You're going to stand before God one day and He's going to punish you for this. I wonder how many people run around saying only God can judge me. Ever think about the fact that indeed one day He will? Let me say that again. I wonder how many people run around saying only God can judge me. Think about the fact that indeed one day He will. One day their knee will bow before Him. One day they will have to give an account for the way that they've lived. Joseph is saying, hey, you're going to answer to God one day. I don't have to judge you. I don't have to punish you. I don't have to reckon and, and, and gain revenge on you. Vengeance belongeth unto the Lord. I'm not in the place of God. And he says, as such, my action towards you are not punitive. Because they don't have to be. Because one day you're going to answer to one that is far more terrifying than me. They're not punitive, they're providential. Look what he says. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God, God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And this is very simple. In some ways it might just be a closing statement. And I think some of y'all would probably say amen to that. But let me just go over them. They sold him, but God. God sent him. They wanted him to perish. But God, God wanted him to preserve others. They wanted to expel him. But God, God wanted to exalt him. And they meant it for grief. But God, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. They wanted to hurt him. But God meant it for good. They wanted to destroy him. They were, they were completely unfeeling, uncaring in every way you could imagine. They set their sights upon him and said, let's destroy him. Let's wreck his life. Let's do everything we can to ruin him. Let's leave just a, 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 a hollow shell of who he once was. But God said, I'll take him and I'll exalt him. I'll use him. I'll put him exactly where I want him to be. I'll bless him. I'll give him more in Egypt than he ever could have gotten in Canaan. I'll, I'll, I'll put him in a place there that he could have never attained to. Think about the fact that he, he was an important person when he was sold into slavery from Canaan. Then he became a slave, but then he becomes a father to Pharaoh, who is the most powerful man in the world. He is now literally the, the, the power behind the throne of a world empire. In other words, God did so something through his suffering that he could have never done through his safety or security. God lifted and elevated him to a place of goodness, of grace, of blessing, of benefit, of prosperity and power and and pleasure that he could have never experienced had they not set their hearts against him. I guess I'm just saying this. People, let's just lose this losing attitude. Let's quit being an aggrieved victim group and start being on the winning side like we really are, and recognize that no matter what this world does to us or against us, and the people in our lives that mistreat us and treat us ill and are cruel or are unkind or or take advantage of us, I'm not saying they're not doing that. I'm not saying you have to pretend they're, they're not doing that. I'm saying you need to recognize that in spite of them doing that, God is still in control. 
And I believe we ought to just commit our hearts to Him tonight. I don't know who this is for. I, I don't know what you're going through. But I bet this, that God don't give any sermon for no reason. And there's probably folks, maybe in this room, going through some of these same things. Maybe not on the scale Joseph did. But that doesn't mean, it may not be, it may not be of the extent, but it's of the same form. It's of the same kind. And you're experiencing some similar things. May not be after the similitude, but may not be after the degree, but you're experiencing some of the same things. You know what you ought to do? You ought to do what Joseph did. You ought to commit it unto the Lord. And say, Lord, help me to be faithful. And help me to keep a right spirit. Help me to keep a right attitude. And help me not to wear blinders to what they're doing, but instead to cast my vision upon you in faith. And to recognize that you're in control in spite of all of these things.